Welcome to another faith-building message by Pastor Phil Pringle, leader of C3 Church. For more information about Phil and C3, please visit myc3church.net. Philippians has a lot of material in it that I could preach on for a year and I still would have uh, ground to move. And one of those main themes in uh, Philippians is joy. And uh, it's so important. And I don't know why, but some people feel like it's either uh, unfashionable or uncool or uh, a bit weird or to be a happy person. And yet everybody's trying to pursue happiness, which would mean you smile uh, and would mean you laugh and you jump around a bit because you're happy. And uh, you can't be happy and be sad at the same time. They, they don't mix. You, you actually need to actually say, well, now I'm going to be a happy person. And, and joy... Uh, doesn't just come from the outside. It's something that's within you right now. There's a fountain of joy bubbling up on the inside. And whatever the cork is that you, you have on that fountain, it, it just takes a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to start rejoicing. Paul was in a prison when he wrote that. And uh, it was a horrible prison. It was, wasn't a prison where you rehabilitate people or where you incarcerate them even for a long time for punishment. It was where you waited to die. You, you were sent there so that you were getting ready to be executed or you just die there. There was a hole through one of the walls which fed out into the open sewer system. And when the bodies died, they just threw them out there. And it was dark, dingy, no light, no natural light, rats, cockroaches, everything down there. He's in chains. Nobody in Rome is going to visit him. And he writes this letter, the Philippian letter, and it's full of joy. So, if you think you have got circumstances that are quite oppressive, just think a little about the guy who's writing this letter. He's got marks all over his body. He's got a couple of blue eyes dancing around in their sockets. He looks kind of crazy. He says, rejoice. Rejoice always. Another time he says, rejoice. Uh, just in case you didn't get it the first time. And again, I say, rejoice. You can, you've got every reason in the world to be joyful. And it's your strength, it's your emotional health, it's everything, it's your mental health. And then this morning I spoke about my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. And I, I, I think we'll tackle that next, next Sunday night, how God is this beautiful provider of a magnificent life and all the resources you need to fulfil the will of God. But tonight uh, we're going to uh, tackle the Scripture in... Uh, in, uh, in, well, it's actually, can you put it up on the board for me, please? Uh, this one thing, for some reason, it disappeared from my notes. Amen. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Can you all say, but one thing I do? But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this message is about focus. This message is about having an uncontaminated vision for the future and about having an undistracted, completely focused vision about the call of God in your life. Let me tell you this, there is no way anybody has achieved anything in this life by being a generalist. You only achieve things in this life by being specifically focused on a target that's ahead of you. 
We, we struggle in this generation with two major problems. One is this thing, this phone thing that you have in your hand called a device, but the level of distraction that that has on people's minds and their soul has become so great that most of the time, nobody is ever where they really are. I can be in a room with 10 people and really there's only five people in the room because only half of them is in there. Their body's in there, but their brain is looking at a device that's somewhere else. And the danger of distraction is that you're gonna live an entire life at half a level and, and only ever gonna be half engaged at what you're doing. When you go to a big event, a great concert or some, some dignitary or figure is giving a speech, you'll find many, many people are filming it or even at a wedding and, and everybody's filming the thing. And while they're filming it, you're not really there, engaged, because you're recording something to have a look at later and, and have a third party kind of engagement with life. And it's almost that this is more important than than anything else, just making sure I've got the photo, I've got the pic to remember it by. I, I would love to think that you have boundaries on the level of distraction that this thing has in your life because it is really such a powerful drug. It is like, I can't live without it. The 3% of Americans sleep with it in their hands. I don't know how many, I guess it'd be about the same Australians. It is, it is not just, this device is not just a, uh, a thing that, that is distracting you and that's not really a good thing. This can kill you and it has. 25% of road accidents are because people are texting or reading their phone here and in America right now. Oprah uh, won't have anybody coming on her show unless they sign a form saying, I refuse to text on the phone while I'm driving because there are so many, not people who have just died themselves, but other people who are maimed, people who are disabled in life or killed through somebody else's distraction and they go off the road and, and hit somebody else. So it's not like just an, a, a, a nice little sermon about not being distracted. This has life and death consequences, this thing here, but, but also take it to a metaphorical place and it is whether I'm gonna live or die in the call of God on my life as to whether I'm gonna become a, a focused, undistracted person and have this one thing I'm gonna do in my life in Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, help me preach here. Okay, the second thing is, this, the first was the distraction of, of so many things in this life. But don't think this is a modern phenomenon. It's been a problem with humanity forever. In fact, right in the Garden of Eden, it is what the devil attempted to do with Adam and Eve. And he employed a thing called FOMO. I don't know if you've heard of that, hashtag FOMO, fear of missing out. And Adam had it and so did Eve. And the devil came to him and said, hey, God's told you, can't eat of every tree of the garden, huh? Oh, tough. He's, he's just like the, the party killer. He's the heavenly killjoy. He is the divine wet blanket. You wanna do stuff and He's not gonna let you, right? 
You can't have sex with that person and that person and that person and be married as well. Oh, what a killjoy this God is. Oh, you just, you, you can't goof around and, and, and do self-identity uh, stuff with gender and things. Oh, no, oh, you, you know, He's really killing your life, isn't He? Oh, you can't do drugs and, and follow Jesus. Oh, God, what a, what a horrible God this God is. No, He's, he's giving you limitations and boundaries in your life and a narrower pathway than this world is offering you because that pathway is broad and leads to complete destruction because you can be involved in a thousand and one different things thinking that it's all okay because it's legitimized by the society in which we live. However, it is inwardly decaying and destroying the soul of anybody who engages on that pathway. So when you get this fear of missing out, you know, a guy gets married, he's, ooh, what about all the ones I didn't marry or could have had? So guys get afraid of commitment or somebody goes to a job and they say, well, what about this job? But what if I could do this one as well? Oh, but what about that one as well? If I could live here and I could live there and if I could have a holiday there and I wanna live over here, you're never gonna do anything really well. You must understand that wealth and riches in life, I'm not just talking about financial wealth, but I am talking about that, are are obtained and achieved because of prolonged, concentrated, persistent effort on the one thing. It doesn't happen because you try to do a multitude of things. Multitasking is a myth. Everybody who has done research on it says, not one task that is being done by a multitasker is done properly. You get a lot of things done half half cocked, half there's a word, but I can't say it. I'm in church. Amen. It's half-assed. You know, it's like, <laughs> there you go. We're Sunday night. The deal is <laughs> you're not going to get the job done well because you're doing this one as well. This is half finished, oh, but, but I got to do this as well, and I got to do this and I got to. The call of God is one primary goal that God has called you to in your life. And my purpose here tonight is to call on you to commit yourself to that one priority in your life and not try and have several priorities of your existence. A number of years ago, uh, I was invited to do art for, uh, do some paintings for the Australian uh, representation in China. It was a conference about Australia in China. When I met the Lord, I gave up painting. I was going to be a painter. I went to university, School of Fine Arts, in the pursuit of becoming an artist. And however that would pan out, whether it be a lecturer at a university or be, a, be a, an independent artist or whatever, that's what I was going to do. When I met the Lord, I gave it all up. I said, I feel the call of God to preach. I didn't think about it again for 25 years. It was gone. 25 years later, the Lord showed me a picture and I knew I had to paint it. So I did, I painted it. But you know, painting's never been in my, my vision. It's never even been in my peripheral vision. It's something I go and do every now and then, but I'm not deeply passionate about it. I'm not, it's just a thing that has helped me fulfill my building commitments, amen. Help me fulfill, you know, and do things and reach out to people. I've done a lot of live paintings and seen a lot of people come to Jesus through it, but it's like a tool. It hasn't been something that's got me. But then when this invitation came to do these paintings, about 10 years ago, 
And I started to think about it. I collected all the photos and of, that I do. I started doing drawings for it. And, and I, I started thinking about it. Then I'd, I'd be up here preaching and I'd have this other thought in my mind. That'd be a good painting. Yeah, then I could do that. And it was just a distraction. And I had allowed it to come around into my vision as part of. Now I'm serving God and this is good, but I've got this going on as well over here. It's another pursuit that I'm gonna embrace in my life. And the Lord convicted me. I, I, I convicted myself. I said, I got a dual vision here. And it's disturbing me. It's, 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 it's weakening my spiritual focus. My heat is cooling on the inside because the magnifying glass is moving. And you're never gonna start a fire when you're going like this with your magnifying glass. You need to hold it on one spot over a long period of time and concentrate that heat. And that's how it works. That's how focus really works. Yeah, so, and it was gonna, it was gonna net me a, a decent amount of income because 25 paintings at whatever, anything between, you know, two to $10,000 was like, wow, we could. And so that, that kind of interested me as well. I thought, yeah, well, that could help us. It, but then when it started to get in my mind and start to occupy an area of my, my attitude, my heart and that, I felt convicted. I said, okay, I'm gonna let it go. I just let it go. And I, it, was, it was difficult. It was a little challenging because it'd go and then I'd think, ah, oh. because then you feel good. Once you've settled a thing like that, you feel good. And you think, okay, now I'll pick it up again. And, uh, but then you can't. Once you've got that peace, you can't go back to the thing. And that's the human condition. When you sin and you repent, you feel peacefully, and you think, oh, I can go do it again and everything will be all right. No, it won't be. You have got, now got to erect a boundary, a wall in your life so that you stay within that pathway and don't find yourself in that place that causes you decay and dispeace. And, uh, and corrupts your soul on the inside. Distraction, the concise Oxford Dictionary says it means to prevent someone from concentrating on something. It is also used to describe a person who is insane or mad. They are distracted. Distraction is like trying to chase two rabbits. Chase two rabbits, catch none. Chase one, you got a way better chance of it than than if you're just trying to chase two. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 34 to 35 says, serve the Lord without distraction. Serve the Lord without thinking, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And it occupies a similar position to the priority of Jesus in your life. So tonight's message, this message is drawing out of Paul's idea, this one thing I am committed to. Have one thing, have one great focus and make sure it is the focus of God's call on your life. You are not here by accident. You are here with a divine purpose. And for you to discover that purpose and then commit yourself to it will involve sacrifice. It will involve challenge. It will involve obedience to God. But you don't wanna get to the end of your life and think, why didn't I commit myself to that divine calling and divine purpose that Jesus had on my life? There are so many people who are gonna live their whole life and never actually give it all they've got to that one thing because of FOMO, fear of missing out on what I could have had over here, what I could have done there. And all the way through Scripture, you find people getting distracted and it destroys them. To Luke 10, verse 40 to 42, 
There's two sisters. And it says Martha was distracted with much serving. So she was serving the Lord, but it was more than what He was asking of her. She was inventing her own Christian life and doing such a lot that it was destroying her attitude. When you're working so hard and it's distressing you and it starts to give you an attitude about all the people who are not working like you're working, that's questionable as to whether that's the call of God. So she, she was distracted with much, approach, uh, with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? She's accusing Jesus that He doesn't care that my sister has left me to serve alone. It's all full of self-pity. I'm doing this all on my own. I can't, why doesn't anybody help me? Therefore, tell her to help me. You ever said that to God? Get them to do what I want them to do. It's a mild form of witchcraft, using spiritual powers to manipulate other people. And it's like, God, you've got to tell them to help me to do what I want them to do. I've got an agenda here and you need to back me up. That's not quite how it works. We're here to back him up and to do his agenda. And so, yeah, he says here, and Jesus answered and said to him, Martha, Martha, oh God. When, when he repeats your name, trouble's coming, sister. Uh, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. One thing. Not many things, not much serving, just one thing, Martha. And Mary has chosen that one thing, that good part, which was worship. And, and, and it will not be taken away from her. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna shut her down because you are complaining over here. He said, you need to relax yourself and enter into the grace of God and understand the simplicity, the beauty of simplicity, the purity of priority, the essence of keeping life simple, which is uncluttered which is needing for you and I to declutter our life. Listen to me, what you focus on is what you will get in this life. If you do not have a focus, so you're focusing on nothing, nothing much is gonna come in to your world. Focus is to an achiever what oxygen is to lungs. It's essential, nothing else will do. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. If your vision is always to the side and this way and that way and you're not focused, you are gonna miss that call that's on, on your life. People in the secular world understand this immensely. Athletes, people in business, Warren Buffett, listen to this quote. If you had asked him if he wanted to be the richest man on earth with his whole heart, he would have said yes. That passion had led him to study a universe of thousands of stocks. It made him burrow into libraries and basements for records nobody else troubled to get. He sat up nights studying hundreds of thousands of numbers that would glaze anyone else's eyes. He read every word of many newspapers each morning and sucked down the Wall Street Journal like it was his morning Pepsi, then Coke. You'll find that anybody who is a high achiever in any realm has focused their entire energy on achieving one main thing 
in this life. One author says, uh, this is Eugene Griezmann, high achievers may attain breadth of knowledge, but they always obtain depth of knowledge in some area. They may know a little about a lot of things, but they always know a lot about one thing. Whatever you're gonna do, get educated on it, focus on it, and don't be worried about all the other things that you're not gonna do. The beautiful thing about my discovery is that what I gave up for the Lord 25 years later came back into my world, not with its grip on my heart or on my passion or on my spirit. It was a gift that I could use with my hand to achieve what was in my heart. And so once I was able to use it like a tool, it became a rod in my hand. It became some a power that I could use in, as part of my life. God has got parts of your life that you may need to give up that are inherent talents, and, and, but they are weights and they are things that slow you down. Let me take you to a passage in, in Hebrews, which uh, talks us about having elimination or planned neglect in our life and decluttering ourselves. It says in Hebrews 12 verse one, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here's the thing. There are weights and sins. Weights are heavy things. Clutter in your life. Uh, there's four kinds of clutter that John Maxwell identifies. Number one, emotional clutter. So if you've got unforgiveness, heavy in your heart, holding resentment and grudges against people, that's gonna slow you down. So it's certainly gonna slow your love factor down, your care factor, your passion, because your heart is obsessing about getting even with that person. Your heart is obsessing about how bad they are, about hating them. But until you let it go and say, I'm gonna get this clutter out of my heart tonight and let my, my spirit fly free. The second is administrative clutter when you're disorganised. It's gonna create confusion and waste so much time in your life. Once you get yourself tidy and organised in this life and it's worth giving yourself time. Abraham Lincoln said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll take four hours sharpening the axe. So you're gonna find yourself far better in life if you sharpened your tools, sharpened your administration, your infrastructure. Number three, calendar clutter. Wasted time is a wasted life. What, are you, what have you got in your calendar that you think is essential? You might think Facebook's essential, but really? You, you might think that watching a whole series, box set series of Blacklist in a night is essential, but, it, I, and when that Netflix thing, the 10 seconds, this thing's gonna start in 10 seconds, you know, oh heck, we can do another one. And, and you just do another one. Three o'clock in the morning, you think, my God, I gotta get up for work in two hours. You know, calendar clutter. It may be challenging sometimes to actually remove stuff, but do it. Take it out of there because time is your life. Every day you get 24 hours to spend. You have to spend it. You can't not spend it. It's like a gold bar. You push it across the counter all day long. And at the end of the day, you've pushed one more gold bar called your life over the counter. What did you get back for it? What came into your life? Did you write a thousand words of that book you're planning to write? Did you spend some time praying and getting closer to God, hearing instruction from heaven? Did you do a Bible study on Proverbs 28 or, or just went through a whole chapter? 
Did you read that book you've been aching to read? Or just sit in front of a game? Did you put your, your VR on? You know, you're lost inside there. It's so essential. Nothing's come out of it though. Achievers focus and declutter. Elimination is the secret to focus. Trivia clutter, games, entertainment. I've talked about that. Things you think you need, but you actually don't. So we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And in my mind, those witnesses are people who have have gone before and have been passing a baton down through the centuries. Adam passed it on to Abel. Not to Cain, but Abel picked up the purpose of God. And then he passed it on. Got to a guy called Methuselah, got to a guy called Noah, got to a guy called Abraham, got to a guy called Isaac, got to a guy called Jacob. All these guys are running with this divine purpose of God in the earth. Came down to David, came to Solomon, came to Elijah, came to Elisha, came all the way to a guy called John the Baptist, who then passed it on to Jesus, his cousin. Jesus picked it up, he passed it on to 12 men. They passed it on to the early church fathers. Then it dropped. We ended into a phase called the Dark Ages. And then a guy called Francis of Assisi seemed to pick it up. Then a guy called Martin Luther picked it up. And then a guy called John Calvin picked it up. And they started passing it on down through the centuries. And then a hand in the hand of guys like John Wesley and George Whitfield. And they passed it on. John Smith and others, uh, great revivalists. Finally, it ended up in the hands of a guy called Billy Graham. He started to reach out all around the world. And then a guy called Oral Roberts and a woman called Catherine Kuhlman and a man called Dr. Cho. And let me tell you right now, that baton is coming down into the hands of you guys in this room here tonight. This generation to pick it up and to start carrying that baton. And you don't wanna drop it. You don't wanna fumble it because you got your eyes on other things and you're thinking, oh man, you know, there's so many other things I could do. I don't wanna run this race just, just for everybody else and for the Kingdom of God. I got some things I wanna do, you know? And Nike said, if it feels good, do it. I wanna do it, baby. And the fact is you'll miss a divine calling without divine focus. And when God has called you and I to get on board and to say, I'm gonna focus on this thing. Now listen to me, just in these last two minutes as the music guys come. Uh, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever, whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Hebrews said every weight, and I talked about the innocuous things, things that don't have a lot of moral attached to them. It's just, they're just intrusions into your time, into your emotional space into your mental space. But then he says, and the sin which so easily ambushes us. Weight slow you down, but sin stops you. It's not just slowing down, it just stops you. So you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. It says, he who covers his sin won't prosper. The only way to deal with sin is to lay it aside. That's what the Hebrew writer says. He says, lay aside declutter, get rid of it tonight. Just say, tonight I'm gonna do this. You've been wrestling with it, you've been struggling with it, it bothers your conscience. You're troubled on the inside, you really don't feel comfortable with God and that, but you wanna serve Him. And yet this thing that keeps ambushing you, I'm believing here tonight that you'll be set free. You are a child of God and no chain needs to bind you. But if you're covering it, it's gonna keep you bound. You gotta to come to the Lord and confess it and forsake it.
And when you say, Lord, I'm going to bring this to you, I want to get out of this thing. It's troubling my head. It's troubling my spirit, troubling my soul too much all the time. Tonight I know that He'll bring healing and freedom into your life. I want us to stand as we come to a close here and let the power of God touch every person here tonight, Lord Jesus, so that we determine to be like Paul and we say this one thing I will do. You gotta ask yourself, how could he be pursuing that upward call of God in Christ Jesus in a prison cell? He said, the things that have happened to me have actually caused the Gospel to go further than I ever would have imagined. How could that happen when you're in a cell like I described at the start of this meeting? He said the entire palace guard, the Praetorian guard, 470 of them have heard the Gospel. They said, legend has it, that they had to change the guards who were chained to Him regularly, like daily, because they were always getting converted. He writes, in his letter, those of Caesar's household send you greetings. He didn't just reach the guards. He didn't just reach the elite praetorian guards. He reached Caesar's household from that prison until finally they let him out and he was under house arrest for two years. He said, look, I could never have reached Caesar's household unless I'd been in that prison. I could never have reached the praetorian guard unless I'd been in that prison. The thing that you're in, the prison you feel like you're in, even though it might feel like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, if you've got a one thing mind, a one purpose mind, a one focus mind, you'll find a way to make Jesus glorified in the middle of your darkest moments, in the middle of your worst imprisonment, in the middle of your worst situation. Don't look at everything as being a bad thing. Somehow, someway, God can set you free from the things that have bound you, the weights that are on you. And I would like to think that tonight you can let them go. At the end of the service, I'm gonna ask the worship leaders to keep singing and you can come down on this altar and maybe you wanna do some business with God. Say, Lord, I just wanna really make sure that I'm, I'm clean, I'm pure, I'm living right. And Your hand can come upon me and I can pursue You with a clean heart and an untroubled conscience. It's beyond price, people. An untroubled mind, there's no price in the world you can put on that. And God has answers for you. I know we've got a world that says just medicate it. No, let's cut it at the root. And let's deal with it, things so that you've got wholeness in your soul, a peace in your heart, your mind. I would be negligent as a pastor, as a preacher, if I left this element of the Gospel out. Because this is how Jesus brings us freedom. We say He sets us free. How does He do it? Exactly by what I'm talking about tonight. Eliminating the things that slow us down. Eliminating the things that stop us. Saying, God, tonight, thank You for breaking the chains and setting me free. In Jesus' Name. You know, as we're standing here, there may be one or two of you who have never prayed a prayer saying, God, come into my life. Or you might have been away from God and you need to come back. I want you to come back here tonight. You just might be saying, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. In a couple moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. 
Make sure you raise that hand when I ask. Can I ask everybody to close your eyes? If that's you, you've never prayed a prayer saying, Jesus, come into my life. Or you've been away from God and you need to come back. Or you just wanna make sure you're going to heaven. Right now, wherever you are in this meeting, put your hand up high. Put it up high for me so I can see. Whatever you do, don't leave it down. And we'll pray for you. Thank you. Who else is there? Just raise your hand quickly and say, that's me. I wanna know that I'm going to heaven. I wanna make sure here tonight that I'm right with God. Just raise it high for me. Anybody else at all, thank you. Who else is there? If there's one more person, please raise it high. Say, that's me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I wanna be born again. I wanna have Christ in my heart. In Jesus' Name. If you did raise your hand, I didn't see it on the way out, make sure that you meet with somebody at the next step bar and they'll talk to you about following Jesus further in this journey. I want you to reach out to God, everybody in this hall. Father, tonight I pray for every heart and every soul here that they be set free from anything that binds them, anything that slows them down, anything that distracts them from a singular vision, from that single eye that Jesus said, from the simplicity of the Gospel, from the purity of the call of God. So that Lord, we consecrate ourselves, we separate ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And we say, Lord, I'm gonna follow You with all that I have and all that's in my heart in Jesus' mighty Name. And everybody said, Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering, would you? Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can order any of Pastor Phil's resources at philpringle.com or at c3store.com. We are always encouraged to hear the stories of great decisions you have made and the great things God is doing in your life. So if you have a story to share or if you have a prayer request, please email us at podcast at myc3church.net.